Hi, I'm Phil Steele, and you're listening to The Monarchists. Monarch Nation, we are back. We are the Monarchists, and we're here on a very sad Sunday to talk about that team in Lynchburg and Old Dominion. Gary, Aaron, what's up? Man, it's uh, the exact opposite of a victory Sunday. It's more like a sadness Sunday. Just a rough day all around, I think, for, for ODU, highlighted by the, the football game. Tough to tough to see where we go from here, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to get all the bad juju out and see where we go from here. And if my commanders lose at 4:25 today, I'm going to let I'm going to let Lisa know to take our dog to a separate section of the house because I'm about beat down as it comes. We got a lot to unpack today. Yeah, and before we start to unpack it, I just want to say. Can we stop having football and basketball games aired at the same exact time? Because that basketball game ended with like three minutes to go in the football game, and it really sucked watching us lose that one and then not have football to look forward to. Yeah, we can't we can't control it. But women's soccer was going on at the same time as well. Women's soccer game was going great until football kicked off. There was one nothing at the half. I will say I'm very glad that I decided to travel to D.C. to go watch and support them because I think that they played really, really well. A couple bounces didn't go their way. A lot of calls didn't go their way. If you're at the game or watched it, that ref was atrocious. But yeah, everything just kind of started to slide there in that 1 o'clock window. Well, you know, the day before on Friday of field hockey, they played really well against Maryland. As well, I know that the score ended up three to zero, but if you watched that game, that team played really well with a lot of heart. Had some breaks that just didn't go their way. There were some significant questionable officiating calls that went towards Maryland, but a great performance by the field hockey squad. That game could have gone much differently if a couple bounces had just happened earlier in that game. But great season to the ladies and uh, Coach Griffiths and the rest of his coaching staff. Gary, so you mentioned the soccer game. Us fans that were not there didn't get to see any of the good stuff. Because once it was, we had technical difficulties on ESPN Plus, and then once it got right is when Georgetown started to take control. It made me appreciate our facilities a little bit, going to a school like Georgetown that I know has a lot of money. They have pretty successful men's and women's soccer teams. But that was... It's just a weird facility. There's no room on either side. There's just like big drop-offs on three sides of it, and there's a little stands on the other end. There were a bunch of ODU fans that made the trip up. Uh, I think at worst it was 50-50. I think ODU fans actually had a little bit of an edge and were definitely louder. It was good to see them in the NCAA tournament. I don't think enough conversation was around how unlucky their seating was along with field hockey. You know, for women's soccer and field hockey, your seating and where you end up playing is almost determined more by geography than actually like where you should be seated within the tournament. And having field hockey having to go to Maryland, who's really good as a four seed, and women's soccer having to go to the three seed Georgetown just because they're close hurt. Like I, I definitely think that a little bit better matchup there would have helped both of them. 
And let me mention one other thing. I know that the three of us have talked about this before. And we got a lot to unpack today, but here's a big positive that I see at Old Dominion that I think a lot of folks probably don't recognize or have the situational awareness to know. Isn't exactly how well that Old Dominion supports our women's sports and those athletic facilities. So as we've mentioned before with regards to field hockey, things can always be better, can always invest, but our field hockey and soccer, women's basketball, there's a real commitment to our women's sports at Old Dominion that we just don't see at some of, even these P5 schools. So I wish that more folks had the opportunity to get out and go to some of these other facilities and see exactly how good that support is locally and that we continue to do that to support those women's sports. I want to respond to Gary's thoughts about the bracket and how unlucky and weird that seating was. Because James Madison got in as an at-large. We beat them in the finals. We finished second in the league. They finished fifth in the league. They go to South Carolina, who was the seventh seed in that region. We go to Georgetown, who is the third seed in that region. We're closer to South Carolina than they are. I don't understand that that, that at all. And they're well, much closer to Georgetown than we are. So if they're going to do seeding based on location, at least do it good. Well, you know, maybe it's dealing with all this bullshit about JMU and football and how are they going to get into a bowl or are they not? And I think there's some sentiment about, you know, feeling bad about what's going on around JMU that maybe subconsciously that helped them, one, get into the tournament. But South Alabama, they won the conference, right, this year? Yeah, they were the regular season champ. And they don't and they don't get into the tournament, but but the number five does and has a – Yeah. So, I don't know. There's just some squirrely stuff going around there. I don't know. But I don't want to forget women's basketball yesterday. If we want to put a highlight on anything that happened on Saturday, they won, beat Buffalo in the Sunbelt Mac Challenge. Uh, so at least I got to write about something fun last night while I was pounding bourbon after rewatching the disaster that unfolded in Lynchburg. Was... All right. So Old Dominion lost 38-10. to 10. The score is not really indicative of how close it was because – Liberty kind of just went real basic in the second half and just kind of coasted. It could have been a lot uglier than this. Um, this game was lost in the first three possessions of the game. I think that's fair to say. We could not stop them defensively whatsoever. And their option was just... It just destroyed us all game long. I like the way we tried to approach it. We actually started our first drive on defense with four defensive linemen, which is something we've kind of been calling for for a little while because of the lack of pass rush. But we were unable to stay disciplined, have that eye discipline we talk about of knowing your assignment and staying on it. We were not able to set a clean edge to force the option one way or another. So that a couple times when the play was just able to get outside and turn the corner and get in the open field. We didn't have the speed to keep up with a lot of those really talented guys on the other side of the field. Uh, we saw it on a kind of a cut back by Salter, and he was just able to blow past everybody on a little bit of a reverse and get in the end zone. 
but we just we did not have an answer defensively for anything that they were trying to do. Uh, in passing situations, we were not able to get pressure and we were not able to cover very well. And just that's a really bad combo when you can't stop the run, you can't rush the passer, and you can't cover. You're gonna you're gonna lose most of those games. Stay with the defense here for a second, and we're talking about a lot of our difficulties there. Is I I cannot remember ever seeing a game where we not only did not have a sack, nor do we have a single tackle for loss. And in this game, we accomplished both of those. That's tough to do. And it shows... I think calling that an accomplishment... <laughs> calling that an accomplishment is, uh, is a little nice. The thing that bothered me yesterday the most was how our secondary could not get off their blocks all game long. And blocking is very difficult. It's extremely difficult in the open field where you have space to move. And losing those bat- those one-on-ones as a defensive player, that's a lack of effort. And I hate to say that out loud. I think we really miss Sean Asbury in the secondary. He's kind of flown under the radar of being a really good run stopper, especially on anything going to the outside. He was not available for this game. Uh, he was injured uh, in the Coastal Carolina game. Don't know what his injury is. Don't know how long he's out. But he has kind of been our guy this year to shut down any kind of outside running or option attack. And we just we didn't have that there. That hurt. But you have to have some of these other guys step up, be able to get off their blocks. But I don't know what you guys think, but when I rewatched that game, I noticed that we had a tremendous talent deficit compared to the other team. But they seemed like they were just bigger and faster than we were at almost every position in that offense to defense matchup. Yeah, I'm I don't know if we wanna stick with one side of the ball, but just looking at the numbers we're just talking about the our lack of tackles for losses even if we're not getting to the quarterback of being able to stop the run or stop a running back before crossing the line of scrimmage you look at liberty and they sacked us five times it's kind of like nothing new for us this year and how many times how many sacks that we've given up but 11 tackles for loss and i think we'll get into it a little bit gary we were talking about before we recorded with regards to how liberty's defense was playing and how they were attacking our offense and the decisions that they were making uh, but clearly the tackles for losses against our offense that that wounded us badly yesterday repeatedly but early i think the passing game is where we lost it offensively we couldn't connect on I don't know how many times we threw it in the first quarter, but I know we didn't complete many of them. It was just tough to watch us try to throw the ball yesterday. It was a tough day for Grant Wilson, for sure. I, I don't don't know what was going on there. If he was injured, banged up, what was going on, but he missed several key reads. He missed several critical throws that I think, you look at it, it's 38-10, it wasn't really that close. I think you change the dynamic of the game and you get guys re-engaged when you know, the other team comes down and scores a touchdown and we're able to answer back a little bit. We've done that a lot this year and it's kept us in some of these games. Just a lot of overthrows, a lot of misreads. And Liberty's defense was essentially fine with Grant Wilson keeping the football and running. 
So a lot of those RPOs that you saw, they were just crashing in on the running back. And sometimes we just made the wrong read there and handed it to the running back and they got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. That was a lot of their tackles for a loss. Uh, but we did see when Grant made the decision to keep that ball and run, we're able to move the change, able to convert and kind of opened up the running game a little bit. But then we would take a deep shot that either wasn't there or it was a bad pass to someone who was open and it killed the drive. I felt like that was a big drive killer for us early in this game. For the first quarter, we did complete a pass on the first drive to Gadarius Callaway for four yards. That's it. And that was just, a, I think we had an empty set and he was lined up at wide receiver and made a catch kind of like on a quick out. Yeah, and then second drive, we had one pass complete to Romello Murphy for eight yards. But that's it. Third, another short completion to Kelby Williams for eight yards. We could move the ball in this first half. And I think the biggest issue with this was the way Grant was throwing. Obviously, the deep ball was not working for him. But we went away from those short and intermediate throws that was working. Because that's where he felt most comfortable throwing the ball yesterday. Yeah, those are the only passes I think that even had a chance, really. I mean, the drive where we end up getting the field goal, we had receivers open in the end zone on two different plays, and the ball was was just overthrown. We, we got away from that mindset of taking what the defense gives you because they were giving us the quarterback run. I think to some degree they were giving us some inside passing as well. But – they figured out how to defend the double stack. And I think other teams have figured out how to do it too. Whether it's the quick pop screen or that, that front receiver was just not able to block two guys when they come crashing down. They're not, you're never going to win that battle, but they also were not falling for the front receiver. I'm going to act like I'm blocking and then go streak or fade down the field. They were not falling for that as well. And that's a very much a boomer bust play. Like you, if it's there, it's there. If it's not, you're kind of throwing it away. And they, they were not falling for that. We kept going back to the well on it, hoping maybe we shake one free because it's been a good play for us this season. But you have to anticipate that every opponent we have moving forward is going to do exactly what Liberty did and take that away from us. We averaged, what, 3.8 yards per passing attempt? I think that's anemic at best. I get what we're doing schematically, but you got to have some balance in there. A defense is going to see what you're doing. And if you continue to do that and there's no threat to do anything else, like you're talking about, Gary, they're just going to crash down on stuff. They're going to crash down, both of them, on that initial blocker and be like, okay, we've got plenty of time to come up and tackle the receiver that's five yards behind them. No, something's got to change in these last two games because as disappointing as the performance was yesterday, we do have to remind ourselves that there are two games left and this team still has the ability to be bowl eligible you go to georgia southern you win that game and you've got a home game you've got a home game to make shit happen and win it and be bowl eligible so we've got to figure something out from everything that went wrong to make strides next week both of these teams both georgia teams are watching this stuff and the blueprint is there. If we do the same thing that we did this week, other than not overthrow some passes, then we're going to get the same result. So you said, what, 3.9 yards per throw? 3.8, yeah. 
in the first half, we were 9 for 19 for 56 yards. That is 2.9 yards per throw. Not going to get it done. Especially against a team that has so much talent and is having a really good season. Like You need a lot of things to go right just to have a chance to win that game. We really shot ourselves in the foot early. It, it felt like we walked into an ambush a little bit. We came out there and everyone was kind of a little stunned of what was going on. And then we were overwhelmed by talent. I mean, their corners, they're very athletic and they're very fast. If you have fast corners against those double stacks and when you're spread across the field, they, they can shut that down. Like I'm, I'm honestly surprised we didn't end up with a pick six off one of those yesterday, the way that they were shooting in to shut that down. They have a lot of talent over there for a lot of different reasons. One of them is absolutely NIL money. So consider that when you are seeing the links that are, are floating around online uh, for ODU. I mean, what a different Salter made at the quarterback position. I mean, that, that dude, made he made us look silly. He stiff-armed a defensive lineman that went down and caused Jason Henderson to have to do like a barrel roll to not get hurt. And then cut the edge and went right up the field. He threw three of those touchdown passes and catches were absolutely incredible. I mean, we had pretty good defense on him. The corners could have turned around and maybe had a, a shot to knock it down if they would have seen the ball. But we were talking pinpoint accuracy over the top of corners, receivers making ridiculous plays. That If you're an ODU fan and you're complaining about what's going on and you're not happy, like I think the three of us are not happy, you have to look at that talent disparity and kind of start asking yourself, how do we close that gap from a talent perspective? That's funny you mentioned that because we have the pride of ODU on NIL now. We need more members. The more members we have, the more competitive we can be in the NIL space. We don't have the luxury of becoming a degree mill to pump a lot of money out. So we've got to get get a little more creative in the way that we raise funds to have bigger recruiting budgets, pay assistants more, pay good recruiters more, and then from the NIL perspective, getting more money to keep the talent that we have. That can't be understated. This is obviously kind of on a different topic, but we've seen on the message boards, we've seen on Twitter, people have talked to us about this for a long time. They were frustrated that a collective had not come out for Old Dominion. Obviously, this is not something that the school creates. So it's not ODU creating a collective, but a collective in support of Old Dominion sports. So that frustration and people wanting it to come out earlier. And now is the time that we, as fans and supporters, have to put our money where our mouth is. So, like, you've got to join the collective, even if it is the $10 monthly one. Like, Everyone that's complained about this, everyone that said that we needed it, you know, do your part. Don't complain. Don't bitch and moan if you're not going to be part of the crew. Okay? I'm not saying you have to do a lot, but a little bit. Said so one coffee a month, whatever it is, we know everybody does it. Whether it's McDonald's or you go to Starbucks, everybody does something. Skip one of those and join the collective. I know the three of us have. If you're listening to this podcast, it probably means that you are a big Old Dominion fan, just like we are. Just join. Yeah. We talked about this with, like, Dollars for Dingers, how enough of us middle-class fans together can be powerful. And we've seen it. How much money we've raised, the 
30 plus thousand over the last three years with baseball. And each year we're getting around a hundred donations, right? It adds up. It really adds up. If we can get 1000 members at $10 a month, you're talking about a hundred K a year, right? 120 K a year. You're asking me to do math hungover, but I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> now, if we can get to 3000 at $10 a month. So obviously it's going to go between more than just football. It's going to go to basketball and baseball and other sports. And that's what it should do. But an extra 300 K in the, in the coffers to make us more competitive adds up and it's not, we have over a hundred thousand alums. We can't, if we can't find 3000 people willing to get 10 bucks a month, we got bigger issues. And you know, that should be our goal, Mike. I mean, this podcast is for fans by fans. So just like us, the three of us, we're like talking to our peeps and we all can find $10 a month. It's just, it's just what's priority. You go into, you know, skipping one beer at the microbrew. You know, whatever it is, at $10 a month. And it, like you said, it's 120 grand a year or $360,000 if you had three. So, I don't know. This podcast, let's focus, let's focus on kind of who we are. Obviously, there's going to be people coming to the collective business owners who want to give more and can't give more that are going to have advertising and different types of things, but we can control we can control our group, our podcast, the people that we're all together with. And if we can come up with a, a few hundred thousand dollars between all of us just pitching in a little bit, like you said, that can make a huge difference. And to be clear, all three of us are disappointed with the game yesterday. Like I think everybody in Monarch Nation is tired of losing to in-state opponents. We're definitely tired of the team in Lynchburg kicking our ass because that's all they've done since we've moved up to the FBS level. Like it's, we have to win. We have to do better. We expect better from our teams to go and win win those games or win some of those games. It hurts more because of other losses that we've had this season. Um, so don't don't get this confused for us thinking that we're just cool with with losing yesterday. It's I think we have to get serious about what we as a fan base can do to actually help to get us going back in that win column. And the bigger that collective gets the more power and influence that collective has on things that maybe need to happen, maybe don't need to happen. Definitely not going to get into that here, but throwing your money kind of together like that gives a little more power and it will help the program. Like it can get us to that level to where we are not one in seven against in-state opponents over the last three years. I'll add one other key component. So no matter how you feel about our coaching staff. Eventually, we're going to need to make new hires. And every coach worth his own salt is looking at collectives now and seeing what they have. And they're making their career choices based on what each school has. It's just like facilities. They're going to look at the facilities and say, all right, well, I can't win here if everything's not in place. So, you need to have that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about whether you need to join or not. Because if we don't make this a strong collective, it will have a lasting impact on 
this program from every sport. And you want to talk about the power an NIL can have? Go look at the news that dropped this morning out of Texas A&M, which has more NIL money than any place in the country. They just can Jimbo Fisher, even though they're going to have to pay him $76 million to not coach at Texas A&M. Now, we're not going to be on that level because I don't think any of us are, you know, got that kind of oil money. But you're not just seeing that at A&M. You're seeing that at other places where you, you kind of have more skin in the game and more influence in the game if you have a little bit more money together behind it. Yeah, obviously, Ricky, and we're just talking football just the second. This is Delisha. This is Jeff. This is, you know, everybody is we have to, as a fan base, be able to support those coaches in competing against the folks that they compete with. Obviously, we're not competing with Texas A&M or Tennessee or these schools when it comes to NIL and other things. We're just, it's just, we're different. Not going to be that way ever. But the Sun Belt, that's a whole other discussion. We have to be able to compete against those institutions and what those coaches have at their disposal. Are we a little bit later to the game than some of those? Maybe, absolutely. But the three of us know that our collective took a very deliberate approach to how they did things for a number of different reasons. We'll talk about that in a future episode when we get those guys on to be able to discuss some of this stuff. But what we can do about it you know, the three of us and everybody else that's listening to this is control what we can control and becoming members is what we can control to give our current coaching staffs and eventually the future ones that come in after all the tools to be able to compete at the highest level. Absolutely. And I want to state that I want Ricky to have the success here. Hell yes. We're big fans of him. We think he's a great guy. We want him to have success here. We want him to figure it out and go six and six this year, go to a bowl, finish seven and six, and then kick tail next year. But we need more fans aboard to make this a possibility. Because last year we saw how NIL hurt our roster. There's a few guys that left that could be really beneficial to this team this year. I don't think that's been talked about enough. I mean, there was a a huge disparity in being able to compete for some of that talent. Ricky didn't really have that at his disposal. I mean, we can argue that he may have had a little bit, but clearly not on the level that you're seeing with some of these schools. Not with Coastal, if you dig under, not with JMU, not with some of these, these other schools. It just wasn't there for him. But we can change that now. We need to change that now. Yeah. So if you haven't joined, please figure it out. Join. And then tell your friends to join. Because we need as much power as we can get to be the old dominion that we all know we can be. Go set up Meemaw with a $10 auto draft. That's right. To the pride of ODU. (laughs) Yes. We'll put it in the show notes, but theprideofodu.com Yes, and Aaron did say we, we, we are going to have an interview with Alex and Jay in the next couple weeks. Uh, scheduling has been difficult between all four of us, 
But we also kind of wanted to delay it so we could get more questions from the fans that, so we knew what the issues were for maybe people why they're not joining immediately. So we can deliver that information to you when that interview is taking place. All right. Gary? Well, just to get back a little bit to the game Saturday before we finally put that thing to bed. Like later in the game, I know among our friends in the Monarchist group chats and things like that, we were kind of hoping that since the game was out of hand, we would get to see an appearance for Colton Joseph to go get on the field and get some reps. Not in a situation of benching Grant. Like he, he had a bad game. I don't think that's the reason we, we lost this game. We saw some some uh, younger guys who don't get a lot of reps on the defensive side. Monterio Smith had the interception in the end zone. I saw a few other guys make some, some plays. Was hoping to see that a little bit more on the offensive side. Just just trying to think of why we wouldn't try to get him a couple reps since he's, I think, technically listed as second on the depth chart, even though the depth chart doesn't mean much. But would have liked to have seen him trot out there and take a couple snaps. All right. So as a true freshman or – someone who hasn't redshirted yet, he has four games he can play. And that's invaluable experience he can use for the future. We have a, or a situation where yesterday there's only three games left, and he didn't get in for one snap. I feel like it was a missed opportunity, and I don't understand it one bit. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Mike. Obviously, the game's out of hand, as you said, Gary. You're not benching Grant. It's just getting guys opportunities to see the field for the first time. Getting an opportunity to see the field on the road for the first time. So when the, you know, I won't say when it really counts, but, you know, when it really counts down the line and, you know, the kid is starting a game for the first time, he's actually had an opportunity to be in the game see some game speed stuff against a very good opponent on the road uh, and get some of the just initial game jitters out of the way because, let's face it, games are different than practice. So being able to know that, hey, I've actually played in a collegiate football game before and you know what, I can do this shit. Like, it's not bigger than me. And I've done it against really good competition, a team who hasn't lost any games this year a team that has great support and the fan base that's making a lot of noise. So I, too, was hoping that once that game was really kind of out of hand, I was hoping that we had the opportunity to, to see some guys, in, in Colton in particular, get get some snaps. But unfortunately, that just you know didn't happen for whatever reason. The coaching staff had their reasons. We don't know what that is, but we got two games left. All right. Next Saturday at 6 p.m., Old Dominion goes on the road to Georgia Southern. It'll be on ESPN plus 4-6 and six Old Dominion against 6-4 and four Georgia Southern. Lines are not out yet. I'm not sure where to peg this game. I'm not sure either, Mike. I mean, Georgia Southern, they're 6-4. They just lost to Marshall, who's been kind of in a tailspin since they beat us. I have not got a chance to watch that game. But, I mean, the one thing that really sticks out to me is, you know, quarterback play. Pennington was 15 of 20 for 200 yards, so it was nothing huge there. But they're running. Rasheen Ali had a great day. So as we talk every week, we talk about how important the running game is for us. And I think that's, you know, we've got a little bit of a roadmap that we need to, as 
as uh, we saw on Twitter before this game, run the damn ball. I think we're going to have to run the damn ball. And we're going to have to be more effective in passing the ball than we were this week. And defensively, I mean, Georgia Southern runs a, a very similar offensive style to what we saw last year with Kyle Van Treese. They just have you know, Tulsa transfer Davis Bryn as their quarterback now. Bryn, the knock on him when he was at Tulsa, and I saw a lot of his games last season, was he just turned the ball over way too much. I mean, he had a couple, I think, four or five interception games. He's not nearly as mobile as as Vasco. He's definitely not as mobile as Salter. He's, he's going to be staying in the pocket more. If he has time to throw, he is going to absolutely pick you apart in your secondary. What I saw from him last night in the game against Marshall is Marshall was able to get a lot of great pressure and make him move around in the pocket. And then he, he made some mistakes. Whether it's a missed throw or an interception, we cannot let him get comfortable in the pocket. Most of this season, though, we have not been able to get much pressure at all on the quarterback. I think Salter yesterday, what he had three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. He baked 14 wedding cakes and a couple of pies. Uh, he had just so much time in the backfield. We have got to pressure him, even if it's the expense of giving up one or two explosive plays because we get beaten one-on-one coverage. I think in the long run of the game, pressuring and blitzing is going to be our key to having success on the defensive side of the ball. But if we're going to rush three and drop eight, like it's going to be a really, really long day for that defense. Yeah, Gary, we got to come after him. Uh, unlike Salter and some of the other quarterbacks we've seen that, you know, like Ethan Vasco, you, know, you rush the quarterback and you lose some contain there and the guy can get out and really hurt you with his feet. But Brent is not going to do that. I mean, he's run the ball. We'll call it run the, run the ball 54 times this year for negative 49 yards. I might be able to get more yards than that. And that's not saying much. So I think he had six carries this week for six yards. He is not going to hurt you with his feet. But he absolutely will kill you with his arm. So you've got to make him uncomfortable. We have to send guys from different different places and just make him super uncomfortable. And he will, he will turn the ball over. I mean, he has 13 interceptions this year. 21 touchdowns, 13 interceptions through the air. So... I don't, what Coach Siler's got, you know, doing in the lab this week, he's got to come up with some new concoctions or something because we absolutely have to make him uncomfortable. And I, I honestly wouldn't hate to see some of these younger guys rotate in more in the secondary. We've seen Marcus Knight in limited snaps make some big high-impact plays. Ontario Smith made a high-impact play on Saturday. I think you got to start mixing things up because, you know, we, we talked about backs kind of against the wall going into, you know, the game in Lynchburg. It's absolutely back against the wall now because if, if you don't beat Georgia Southern, you're, you're at seven losses. Your best outcome is five and seven. You're not going to a bowl. You're going to miss the three weeks of practice that you would get between the end of the season and a bowl. You have to treat the last two weeks of the season as building for for 2024 so you you got to throw everything you can kitchen sink whatever you, you got some wide receivers that can cover put them out there um because you know it's into the line now do you want that georgia state game the last home game of the season to mean something because i mean I, I do i've got friends and family coming we're going to have a fun tailgate that that game needs to be meaningful for more than just playing for the old pride and potentially jason henderson's last game as a monarch 
There's one trend I've noticed looking at Georgia Southern schedule. They have struggled on the road. Uh, they're very good at home. They're unbeaten at home. Not a great place to be when you need a win. Their fan base always shows up. They're loud. It's always a hostile environment. It plagued us in the FCS days. Uh, we went down there, I think, for a playoff game, and it did not go super well. Luckily, they don't run the triple option anymore. But That's what I was about to say. Man, oh, the memories. I saw flashbacks from that crap. Um, we still haven't figured out how to stop the triple option either because that's basically what that other team ran on Saturday. And we, we still – one day, one day. Yeah, it's – we talked about it a little bit. You got to throw the kitchen sink at this game because you you got to win it to make your last game meaningful, and I think that should apply to your strategy, your approach, and your personnel too. Like if if you need to make a move somewhere, that's the game to do it because uh, after that you're just spend another week planning for 24. Yeah, I I don't know what the likelihood of Keyshawn playing on Saturday is. We don't know how serious his injury is, but I'm hopeful we can have him back because not having him yesterday was a clear disadvantage. Keyshawn is our every down back, and he's been fantastic this year, and I think him not playing yesterday was tough. I hope Harvey is healthy as well. I know he went down a couple times yesterday uh, with an injury. We know he has a huge impact on the game when he's healthy and able to do his thing. I think Xavier Black started at center, so we had him back. I think the line did a, a better job in pass protection uh, with him back. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do up front on both sides of the ball, but it was nice to see we were able to handle the pressure that the team in Lynchburg was sitting at us. Yeah, and uh, looking more at Georgia Southern, they have three really fantastic receivers that we're going to need to slow down, all averaging over 10 yards a catch all very, being very productive throughout the year. It's imperative that we slow them down somehow. I would guess this line is going to open somewhere right around 10. Georgia Southern minus 10. Probably bounce back and forth 9.5, 10.5, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, our offense has to help our defense this week. Obviously, the defense has to play a more complete game than they did this week. But the offense has got to do their part. We have got to actually score the ball. I would imagine that they're going to take lessons that Georgia Southern's defense is going to look at this game that we just played and go, hey, we can do the same damn thing and start off that way unless we adjust. So we've got to be able to run the ball. Grant's got to make the correct reads. And if they are just selling out and crashing down on the running back every time, that he's got to be willing to run the ball. And if he's not, then the coaching staff has to be willing to make a change and go to someone who, you know, might have a more complete skill set with regards to running the ball. I think we can all read between the lines and who that might be. But we all know that Grant has the ability to do that. We've seen it. And when he did it this past game, he ran very successfully. But we need more of it. Because if the defense doesn't think he's going to do it, then you're just going to continue to crash down. And we saw that Darius was running the ball pretty well early. But then once they just keyed on the running backs, whether it was him or it was Sonny uh, or Tariq Sims when he got in, those guys didn't have a chance. I mean, they were just like being triangulated 
if that's even a thing. I don't even know if that's an actual word, but it was like a <laughs> laser guided music musicians, laser guided munitions on the running back position. <laughs> while Grant was just kind of two or three feet off to the side and could have probably ran for 10, 15 yards in another first down. Uh, we had a few more of those third and shorts, fourth and shorts where we just kind of ran into the brick wall. Uh, we do that. We've done that a couple times this season and whether it's, a designed run up the middle that we can't block or just the wrong read being made. I think we've got to, got to go away from that. Cause it really looked like sometimes we run into a rugby scrum. We didn't have enough bodies, but I, I would also just crisper passing would be, would be great as well. Cause that, that hurt us early on too. And whether that's route depth or missed throws, we just have to have to be better. And we got to do the little things too. We had a seven yard punt early in that game yesterday, which, did not help things at all. So optimistically, I do feel better not playing a team that runs the option, especially given our long history against that offensive style and our failure to stop it. One thing I will note against Liberty was we did really good when they ran between the tackles. Um, Georgia Southern, if we can stop their running game and force them to pass, it might not be the way to win, but it's probably our best avenue to win. Got to get pressure on the quarterback. Have to. Have to find a way in this game. That's our only, I think, legitimate avenue to win this game is to pressure the quarterback and create turnovers. If we can't do that, it's it's just we don't, we don't have a chance. So I meant to mention this earlier. But we've had those types of losses yesterday over the years. And this is the first one I've genuinely been shocked by. Because in prior years, maybe we didn't have a good, complete football team. But this year, no matter what position we've been put in, the team fought. Whistle to whistle, start to finish. So that I'm still kind of shocked at that how that game played out yesterday. Maybe it was coastal. Maybe that was kind of our last, like kind of shot in the air, but still kind of shocked at what we saw yesterday. Well, I, I, mean, I made the prediction last week that we were going to find a way to kind of bring the team together and win. I was way, way off base with that prediction. I think that's my worst prediction in a couple of years. And I think it's the same thing you're talking about, Mike. Like this team has been in pretty much every single game except for the first one at Virginia Tech. Even our losses have been close, or we had the lead and we blew the lead. Uh, so I was shocked to just see us go in and get our doors blown off. I worry, because it's something we've talked about all year with the defense, the injuries have started piling up, the little, the little nicks, the little bruises start stacking up more and more, and then we went up against a team that had substantial talent and then they destroyed us so i think you learn a lot about the true feeling in that building and with our program right now with how they respond going into essentially a win or go home game next week against georgia southern like what how bought in are these players do they have that resiliency and that mental toughness to come back and win a game and set themselves up with the chance to be bowl eligible at home or do they fold like a deck of cards? Like I think there's there's two avenues where this game goes. We win a one possession game, 
or we get blown out at Georgia Southern. I don't think that there's, I don't think the other outcomes are very realistic. I see it kind of the same way, Gary. We've got to do something different. We've got to, no more, no being conservative, throwing the kitchen sink at the quarterback. I mean, if we have a week where we can afford to be more aggressive with the quarterback and not being scared about him doing something other than throwing the ball, this is the week. This guy is not going to kill you with his legs. So we've got to make it uncomfortable for him. How we do that, I don't know. That's obviously, that's the $64,000 question. We've got to figure out how to do that. And obviously you can't win a game without putting points on the board. So we've got to, we just have to have a more complete football game this week. All right. So that brings us to predictions. Aaron, you want to lose us off? Man, I always suck at these things. I mean, it, it really comes down to no balls, no blue chips. We got to sell out. We got to sell out from a defensive standpoint this week. We've got to we've got to stop their run, and we've got to put pressure on the quarterback. We can't just sit back. We can't just rush three and let their offensive line double-team our guys uh, because it'll kill us. Fortunately, we have one guy on this team, and he is so clutch. He not only kicks field goals, but he's doing kickoffs now too. And just like you said, Gary, it's going to come down to one possession. Ethan Sanchez, 50-yard field goal to win this game and keep the Monarchs alive for bowl eligibility. You can always put a smile on my face, Aaron. I appreciate it. I've got. I guess I have to be careful with my prediction. I don't want to uh, fall further behind David in the uh, the standings that come out in the preview article every week. I think I'm one one behind him. So I I want to pick ODU in this game. I I do because I want this team to win. I love the guys on this team. I do think that they're they're tough and they're very capable. And I want them to win because I want the Georgia State game to mean something. I want to go to a bowl game. I want to do all those things that are going to help our program. But I can't bring myself to do it. I don't think that defensively we are going to put pressure on the quarterback. And I think we're going to be sitting here shaking our heads watching Davis Bren throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns and absolutely light us up. So I am going to have to pick Georgia Southern. I want to be here next week with you all laughing about me, about how wrong I was and how much of a pessimist I am. I want that. But I've got to go with Georgia Southern this week, and um, I don't think it's going to be a close game. I wouldn't call that pessimism. It sounds more like realism at this point. I mean, you are what your record says you are. We're four and six. We all want this team to win. We all want them to perform the way that we've seen them perform at times this year. We want them to close games, but that just hasn't been happening. And it's very tough to go to Georgia Southern and win a game because no one has been able to do that this year, including Coastal. So I don't know. This is, uh, like you said. Mike, Mike, before you make your pick, before you make your pick, all right, let's remember they just lost to Marshall this week. On the road. They got run all over the place. 
Yep, but they got run all over the place. And they gave up a 98-yard kickoff return. Yeah. Um, I agree with you both that this is, if we win, it's going to be a one-score game. And there's a good possibility of this being another kind of blowout. We've told you what we need to do to win. We need to run the ball really well. We need to stop. We need to hit the quarterback. We need to stop the big plays. And I'm going to go with Old Dominion because they do not have a quarterback who can move. All the games we've lost this year, the quarterback could move. Our bend don't break defense sets up pretty well, I think, against this defense or this offense. Yeah, they're going to be able to move the ball, but we're going to really bow up in the red zone, and that's where we're going to make our stops. But the offense has to come through for us this week because it's going to be a shootout. Take the over, all Dominion by three. Let's go. Is it three on a Vasco or a uh, Ethan Sanchez? I said Vasco too many times. Ethan Sanchez field goal, Mike? Are you going? No, I'm not field goal winner. going with a game-winning field goal. I think we'll be up set. We'll be up six points. They'll they'll get a field goal, hoping to get a stop against us that they don't get. Defense saves the day again. They've been really good in the fourth quarter all season long, except for Coastal Carolina, and I, I hope to see that trend continue or come back. So. Hopefully, next week we can talk about how Georgia State is a bowl or bust game. Because we all want it. But until then, go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.